Singing in the kitchen. Running through the yard. Going on vacation. On the credit card. All in this together. We're taking a chance. I'm Charles Copland, and you are listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustained Music and Nature. The song is Family, from the latest EP from Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. I asked Drew about his family. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm on, on my mother's side, I'm one of 28 grandchildren, and I grew up five doors down the street from my grandparents. Um, the second of four kids, uh, we were all very close children because the third child, my brother, was born with spina bifida, and that required a significant amount of team effort. And my parents also are very extroverted, love to travel, so we spent a lot of time as a family going on various vacations. I, I, I think I stepped foot in 44 states by the time I graduated high school. Uh, and most of those experiences were that group of the six of us, you know, so, um, I got married relatively young. Uh, so my wife and I have been married for almost 15 years, even though I'm not 40 yet. And, uh, we have three kids that travel with us a good bit. And yeah, it just seems it's, especially in my songwriting, it seems to be sort of a, a well that I draw a lot of inspiration from, um, I know that not everybody has the greatest experiences with family. Um, I, I certainly recognize that and the difficulty that it can be for a lot of people, even the difficulty that it can be when you have a great family like I do. So uh, it's just a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's sort of a home base for me. So let's continue with this thread. And by the way, I commend you because yes, family is great, but family is a challenge. And the fact that, <laughs> You know, like we'll get to it, but the TED talk about your how much your mom and dad, like we'll we'll get to all that. But I, I just think you're 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 a unique person that way. Um, but it's a good thing; it's all a good thing. And and maybe you could just talk about the song a little bit because I know the EP just came out, and um, yeah, you know, yeah, I just sure. yeah, just like what's behind? I mean, beyond the obvious, what's what's sort of behind the song? Well, I, I mean, just sort of musically speaking, I, I tend to have a, a, an attraction towards like stanza songs. Um, some of my biggest uh, or most popular songs don't even really have a chorus. They're sort of A and B sections, like songs like What Would I Do Without You and um, American Beauty, uh, Families the Same Way. It's really uh, four A sections in one sort of bridge. And then uh, so this call and response thing of, you know, the, the call is family and then I riff on whatever. So I was just thinking about that when I was writing the song, I was like, all right, I'm just going to like sort of, sort of a Paul Simon kind of a experience for me musically, the sort of rhythmic, uh, you know, exploration of this word, you know? So it's, it's really, it's, it's not a narrative song. It's just a, it's a sort of, a, you know, a, a imagining say this word out loud and what comes to mind, you know? Uh, so you know, family all in this together, family, we're taking a chance. Uh, you know, this, this idea of like, um, I'm trying to kind of paint a little bit of a vacation road trip, um, thing at the beginning of the song. And there was a, 
one of my favorite sort of stories with the creation of the song is I got into an argument with a couple different people about the line family on the credit card. And one particular person on my team said, I, I don't like that. It makes me feel sad about my childhood because we were in so much debt. And, and I was like, yeah, that's, that's part of what happens sometimes with families. It's like, you know, we, we, I'm sure my dad overspent, uh, every single time we went on vacation and had to, you know, tap into the, the bank's money. So, um, you know, there was a tension in that, uh, my producer, uh, Kaysen, who produced the record, he loved that particular line. He's like, if you take it out, I'm not recording the song, you know, sort of put his foot down, which I, I agreed with him. So thankfully we landed in the same spot, but, uh, yeah. And then the bridge is sort of like, uh, the tension moment where you're like, you know, everybody sort of listened to the song and they're like, who's this guy kidding? Like family's difficult. And then the bridge is like, yeah, I know, you know, can't choose them. You can't lose them. We all have a song to sing. Some are crazy. Some are amazing. All got a little bit of everything. You know, I, I like any family, I, my, my family has some pretty interesting characters. I mean, uh, I've told this story on stage a few times, but my dad had a half brother who was 10 years older than him that I, I probably only saw 10 times in my life. He was, uh, um, he's, he's no longer, um, around, um, passed away a, a number of years ago, but he was, uh, he's, he was an alcoholic and it's hard to keep a job down. And, and he would show up at the most random times. And I remember one particular Christmas, we'd probably not seen him in five or six years and about 11 o'clock or as we're about to, you know, we've already opened all the presents and stuff. He comes barreling down the driveway and a beat up station wagon, completely full of presents. And, uh, you know, he comes out like the big fish and, and delivers all these presents to us. And, uh, we're like, Oh, uncle so-and-so is the greatest, you know, this is amazing. And my, you know, he's out on the back porch smoking a cigarette and my dad goes out there and says, so, you know, what are you doing showing up on Christmas day with all these presents when you owe me all this money? And, uh, he takes a long drag on his cigarette and he said, I didn't buy your kids anything. And he said, dad says, well, what do you mean you didn't buy my kids anything? He says, takes another long drag and says, oh man, I stole all that shit. And, uh, that's like the, the penultimate family moment, you know, just like everybody's got characters like that in their life and their family that are just, just can't make them up. You know? Yeah. You're like getting into Tracy Letts, uh, August Osage County territory with, with a story like that. Right. I, by the way, kudos to you and case. And I love the credit card line. I'm glad Thank you kept you. it. Um, I wanted to ask you, staying with family, uh, how influential was your own father on your career? I was very influential. Uh, I think as a child of the fifties, you know, he, he grew up in sort of the best era of music, but was sort of more in the, you know, grew up in the conservative South where, you know, you're expected to keep your hair short and your shirt tucked in. And so he, I think he was always a little bit wish that he had tried music. He was a drummer in like drumline in high school and wanted to be in a band. And his dad basically told him he couldn't be in a band, you know? Um, and so when I started playing music, he was the one that sort of shoved a guitar in my hand at age 11 and 12, uh, and wanted me to learn to play. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it, it would be, it would be hard to, to overstate how much his sort of, uh, encouragement, pushed me in this direction. But here's why, why I'm asking you that too. I, I got to give away something. So I have a son mm -hmm. and he's, uh, he's 23 years old and he's a singer, songwriter, musician. 
And uh, you mentioned Paul Simon, and I know you know your your musical influences are so diverse from Radiohead and and uh, Tom Petty, et cetera, et cetera. And like I inundated my son with my record collection. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's where you know he has the talent, but it just reminds me of a very similar way that that I've raised my own son. So I was also going to ask you, you know, like. What did you learn from your dad's record collection? Well, I learned a lot. I mean, there, there's there's some some tricky history there as well. I mean, my parents are were, uh, by the time I came around, um, well, my mom grew up in a pretty religious household, and my dad sort of joined that that sort of part of the the family after getting married. And so, a lot of their records um, by the time I was old enough to listen to them had been thrown out in the sort of '80s evangelical fervor of you know, get rid of Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. And so um, originally, you know, the one thing he really was able to sort of sneak back in there was all the Bob Dylan, you know, because of Bob Dylan's, you know, sort of Christian phase. And so he was able to keep all of his Dylan records. And so that's sort of what I started with was all the Bob Dylan. And then, you know, we'd sneak in oldies radio. And next thing you know, it was just full blown, like we're listening to what we, whatever he wanted, you know, he wanted to take us all the way back there. But the actual records themselves were, were uh, sacrifices in, in sort of that, that sort of cultural moment that, that was going on then. So, um, but his love for all that music never really stopped. So, I mean, I, you know, Zeppelin, Dylan, uh, Van Morrison uh, was those, I would say, you know, stuff like that was kind of where, where he camped out. So I got, I got to say it, you went from, you got to serve somebody to stairway to heaven. All along the way. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's right. Uh, all right. So uh, now you're back on the road, thankfully. Uh, I know you got the Moon River Festival coming up, which I know you organize. How does it feel to know and, and be in front of an audience again? Oh, it feels amazing. I uh, Our first audience shows were back in April. We had these, you know, sort of outdoor potted experiences in a couple different cities around the southeast near near home and to see faces was pretty was, was fairly overwhelming that one of them was in atlanta and i one of the things i missed the most during all of the sort of stay at home quarantine parts of the last you know year and a half was playing with my band because we uh, three of us have been in a band together for, for over 14 years and so about song number four of the second show we had out, uh, I introduced them and started kind of sharing a little bit of that with the crowd, like how much I've missed playing with them. And I kind of lost it on stage, had to, had to take a minute and gather myself. Um, because not only did I miss playing on stage in front of people, I missed playing on stage with my band. And we had done a few live stream things, but, you know, singing together in front of a camera with no audience is not the same as singing together and playing together in front of an audience of people. So... Uh, it's been really great. It's, uh, I think I'm more grateful for it than ever, than ever before. And really learned, you know, in all that time of not being able to do it, how much I really love it. And sometimes you can forget that in the monotony and the drudgery of travel and delayed flights and blown out bus tires and, you know, weird audiences every now and then. So you, 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 we, I think we all, or at a place where really appreciate it more than ever before. So other than gratitude and gratitude alone is enough. Um, what's your pandemic positive? 
what did you kind of learn or discover or start doing differently during the long period of insideness? Yeah, I, I um, I'm, I'm a little bit of a busybody by nature. I love to sort of see and create new things, whether it's like the festival or I'm part of this bourbon brand or I'm, my wife and I are involved pretty heavily in our kids' school and, you know, just kind of say yes to a lot. And I've started saying no to a lot more things. Um, I just realized how much I enjoyed time with uh, more time with my children, more time with my neighbors, more time being outside. Uh, I, I, the, the big practical one for me is that when I was a kid, 18, 19 years old, I learned how to fly and I got my pilot's license and I flew for like four years and then basically ran out of money and time. And so the last time I'd flown was 2005 and I decided in COVID I'd, you know, I've wanted to fly ever since all the last 15 years, but I've never pushed myself back into it. And so starting this winter, I just, that's enough, enough is enough. And I joined a flying club here in town and I've been getting back up in the air and um, I'm seeing the world from there with, your phone off and just nothing but you and your thoughts is uh, something I, I'm really glad that I've gotten back into. I don't know if I would have had it not been for all of this craziness. So that's an excellent segue to my next question. I, I love the video uh, to I need to go somewhere. And I got to think that that was somewhat pandemic inspired. No. Oh, oh absolutely. Yes. So Casey, who I mentioned earlier, the producer, um, I got COVID in early November and once I finished my quarantine, I, I started spending a little more time with uh, some producer and songwriter friends. Uh, so I went to his house and, and he, he had uh, all these RV brochures on the coffee table. And I sat down, I said, I don't know what we're going to write about today. I, you know, I said, what's all, what's all these, what are all these brochures doing here? And he said, he said, well, you know, the kids are doing school virtually and we're just thinking about getting an RV and hitting the road. And I just sat back in the chair and said, man, I need to go somewhere. And he just sat up and goes, that's our song. I need to go somewhere. And literally 45 minutes later, we had written the whole song. I mean, it was just one that came really quickly. It's obviously funny. It's tongue in cheek. Uh, absolutely, completely inspired by the, you know, I mean, the first line of the song is stuck in this house with a mind full of doubts, you know, tired of staring out the window eating too much, drinking too much, tired of watching the grass grow. Channel two, channel three, back to channel two. I've watched everything in my queue. You know, this like total stuck at home, bored to death. No more live streams. Can't do it anymore. No more Zoom calls. Get me out of here. Yeah, it's the lockdown anthem. And, and I, I urge everyone listening to check the video out and to stay for the after credits uh, moment. <laughs> I, won't, I won't give that away. That way I'll get people to go. To go watch it. Um, so, you know, there's Drew Holcomb and the neighbors, but there's so many other permutations. I, I love the the fact that you did Kitchen Covers, the collection. H how did you choose the songs? Because I'm sure there was a long, long list that had to get winnowed down. Yeah, yeah. Well, at first, it was there were sort of two categories. Uh, one was people that I've toured with. So uh, the Avett Brothers was the first one. Uh, did you know for a lot of friends in there as well people like need to need to breathe and johnny swim and ben rector and then we had toured with willie so i actually did a willie song and then it was heroes um so you know 
the obvious people, Marvin Gaye and Tom Petty and uh, Carol King and stuff like that, you know, Simon and Garfunkel. And then there was what I would kind of call like left field, which is definitely people that I'm a fan of, but were, you know, sort of outside of my wheelhouse. Uh, and that would be folks like, you know, Beyonce and Bruno Mars, uh, just trying to sort of keep, keep it interesting. Uh, but at first it was definitely, you know, people that I know or have toured with and then heroes and sort of let it build out from there. Stay with us for more with Drew Holcomb on Songscapes. Ever wonder why conservation messaging has such a hard time reaching people? So did we, and that's why we started Sustain Music and Nature. We take a celebratory approach, showcasing the beauty of public lands through music. Music reaches everyone. Our mission is to make music a force for nature. When you watch one of our National Park music videos or attend a concert out on the trails, our goal is for you to be inspired to enjoy and support these at-risk areas. Public lands belong to all of us, and music is the perfect way to bring this message to everyone. Consider a one-time donation or join our Patreon to help us create exciting programs and musical collaborations that celebrate and protect public lands for all. You can make music a force for nature. Learn more at sustainmusicandnature.org. Staying with the theme of family, I asked Drew what it was like to have his wife Ellie alongside him as co-producer yeah she's uh well she was in my band for right. nine years i guess eight years seven years i don't know how many it's sort of all fuzzy at this point but um she was really just like a background singer and a multi-instrumentalist in the band and then clearly she had like her own thing that she needed to do. And we, by, right around that same time that that was being realized, we had our first child. This is about nine years ago. And it was pretty clear that she needed to get off the road, wanted to get off the road and, and sort of, you know, quit the band and started doing her own thing. And we took about six years where we didn't do anything together. We, I mean, we went from writing songs together, you know, on a regular basis to not writing anything at all. I think our just relationship needed a musical breather to give us each our own lane to, to exist in and to work in and kind of be cheerleaders for each other, but not necessarily be involved in the, in the, in the creative process. Uh, so she has sung on every record I've made, even in the midst of that, even if it's just a song or two. Uh, and then kitchen covers, obviously she's a huge part of that. And we do a tour every year, usually in February called the you and me tour start. We started that about three years ago and that was really two things. One, we wanted to do like a cool acoustic show and sing together again, but also we want to take our kids on the road and show them our world. And so that's the tour where we load up the bus with a bunch of children and, um, you know, go around and see, see, see everything we can see. Man, you're giving me these beautiful segues that I swear to people listening are on plan because my next question <laughs> was, I was going to ask you about the road trip for the love of Tennessee travel safe campaign. I know yeah. that, you know, you hit a lot of state parks and natural areas and, and 
it inspired some songs. So what was, what was behind that and how was that like? Yeah. I mean, that was, we were approached by, um, basically the folks that run the advertising for Tennessee Tur- tourism bureau, or I don't even know what the official title of it is Tennessee vacation or something like that. Uh, and they said, Hey, we've got this idea. Would y'all want to take this road trip? Um, we'll f- follow you around. We'll create like sort of a, a production bubble COVID test. And we had to get tested like every 36 hours. It was sort of intense, but, um, my kids especially were like, we have to do this again. We don't want yeah, them to really. stick it up our nose. Yeah. Uh, but we went and yeah, we, they sort of built a, 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 you know, a list of places they wanted us to go. And, uh, we camped out, the kids slept in the airstream, Ellie and I slept out in a tent next to it. And we wrote a couple songs and, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure this is true for anyone anywhere, but you, you grow up in a place and you think you've seen everything nearby that's worth seeing. And then, especially with state parks, I think there's so many places that I didn't even, I've driven by on the interstate or whatever, you know, a hundred times and never, never stopped. And then to actually stop and see them was, was really, I don't know, it was a pretty special like uh, experience. There was, there's a place called the Obed River National Scenic Overlook that I didn't know existed and was one of the most beautiful spots I've seen in the state. Um, there was this uh, nature preserve in Kingsport where they have um, sort of this rescue wolf operation thing. And uh, we got to like howl with the wolves at sunset. And uh, there's actually a, we recorded a piece of that on our phone and it's at the end of one of the two songs feels like home is actually, is, is an actual wolf. It's not, it's not just like a weird sound. It's a, one of the wolves that we encountered. So anyways, there was just a lot of really cool moments on that trip where I got to experience parts of my home state that I'd never seen before. But it was also like, it was a brutal eight days with three kids. I mean, we, we ran an Airstream, which usually in Airstream, you like park it for like multiple days and we were moving it every day for seven days uh, and, and, you know, film crew and, and all this. So there was definitely like a, a TV production element to it that, is off was not, you know, obviously not part of the presentation, but, um, the truth of it is we really did have an incredible time. And we wrote those songs sort of out of that experience. And then one of the songs is about our son, who's just a wild man our, our third and keeping up with him and keeping him alive is sort of a job in and of itself. So, um, you know, I think it's interesting. And by the way, you are the guy that wanted to go somewhere. So that was a, be careful. What you want <laughs> That's true. <laughs> But I think when you said the thing about seeing things for the first time, even though you lived close by, I, I also think what factors into that, you know, bringing up your son Rivers and everything is the chronology of your life. So you see things um, not only, you know, visually with your eyes, but I think psychologically you see these things through your kid's eyes. And also as a songwriter, I would think that that also shapes in some ways, the way you view these natural landscapes, um, in a different way. Uh, yeah, certainly it does. Uh, I don't know if, if I've necessarily even thought about it like that, but. Well, maybe I'm forcing that down your throat, yeah, but I, I. No, no, I think, no, I think that's true. I think there's a sort of a poet's, you know, eye or a wordsmith's, you know, view, um, if, 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 if I take the time to actually think about it and see it, I mean, I think 
there was this one moment on the trip where we were at that Obed River National Monument and we were, I was just playing the, the mandolin and playing these two chords back and forth. And that's really where the heart of the feels like home thing came about. Ellie just started riffing on all the things we had seen. He was trying to rhyme them. And we have this like 15 minute video of it. Um, that's like, I mean, it's like a master class in wordsmithing. And I was just basically singing the feels like home line over and over again while she sort of did it all. So I was able to sort of participate in it, but it was really her doing, doing the sort of, legwork of it and it was all sort of in the moment of this we're at this magical spot and she's just like kind of you know that's where she came up with the like elvis and dolly singing a melody you know it's bringing you home just it was pretty cool it's pretty 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 special moment the whole the whole film crew was just sitting there watching us like what is happening we're getting to watch some magic right now so yeah and that's uh the the sort of intersection of this podcast is music and nature and i ask all my guests this question and and if you want your answer could be the answer you just gave but do you have a favorite public lands moment where you were just as you described in that moment there was just magic authenticity you were very present um you know yeah. is, is that the one do you have any others you want to share i mean that that is a good answer yeah no i have a lot of them i mean i i was really involved with the scouts growing up and so i went camping and backpacking and kayaking and canoeing eight to 10 times a year for five or six of the most formative years of my youth. Uh, I, that was so there's a lot, a lot from that. We did this thing um, at the Philmont scout ranch where you go out of the scout ranch into the national forest, the Val Vidal national forest. And you do this like no, no trail hiking where you're just basically traversing, you know, trying to find your, you know, you're going like six miles A to B and there's no trail. There's no, you know, and it's sort of a, a tundra ish like kind of area. So you can do that pretty easily. It's not like deep woods or anything. So that was one of my favorites as a kid um, was doing that. And then um, as an adult, my wife and I, these are not American public lands, but they're still pub public lands, but we did the, the, um, Tour de Mont Blanc, which is about a 120 mile hike um, that starts in Chamonix, France in the summer. And you basically go around the Mont Blanc glacier. You go through, start in France, then go into Italy and then into Switzerland, then back into France. And um, some of it's private land, but mo the, 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 the hike is public and it's mostly public land. But yeah, I just remember that entire trip being the, probably like the most free I've felt as an adult. You know, we didn't bring our phones. We just hiked for 10 to 12 hours a day, mostly with strangers. There were 10 people on the trip. None of them knew each other except for Ellie and I. And, um, yeah, so we've, we've, we're actually, we just had our, had our 15 year anniversary and we're going to Jackson, Wyoming to climb the Teton. So we, we try to, especially for, for the five year mark anniversary, try to do something that's like difficult. It's outside in a beautiful place to sort of remind ourselves of like our place in the world, but also do something hard and fun together, which is kind of like what marriage is like. So. Yeah. And congratulations on that milestone. Thank so you. Appreciate it. it's continuing then in that vein. And it's another question I ask all my guests, is there sort of, and it can be your own or it can be somebody else's. Is there a song that you kind of go to, whether you hear it in your head or you conjure it up that, that is your sort of nature song? 
that you that you sort of when you hear it or when you think of the positive aspects of nature you you think of a, a specific song yeah yeah and I, you know i will say this is the one question i was i was advised that you would ask because um which i i appreciated because it gave me some time to think about it and you know there's sort of like two categories for me in this song and this question is like because there's so many great sort of protest songs about nature and it's it's fragility and and our sort of um role and and you know needing to take better care uh and my favorite that's in that category would be john prine's paradise um you know i think that's a great song about um you know about a beautiful place that has been sort of potentially ruined and we need to like stop the train you know um I also love his song Lake Marie, which takes me takes me to like the summer lake sort of, you know, place, which is a beautiful place to go in your in your mind. Um, but then, you know, to get sort of sappy, but I think it's actually a beautiful one of the most beautiful songs is, uh, you know, Louis Armstrong's What a Wonderful World, which is one of the kitchen covers that we did. Um, and, it, you know, it's interesting how you hear a song a million times and then you hear it for the first time in a new way. Um, that's what happened to me when I recorded that song. There's this lyric I want to, I'm trying to find. Um, we obviously talks about, I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me. And you know, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. It's an incredible sort of just song about how physically beautiful the world is. Um, but then he said this thing, um, the very end of the song that I'd never heard before. I mean, I'd heard, but I'd never processed. I hear babies cry. I watch them grow. They'll learn much more than I'll ever know. They'll learn like talking about looking at your own, like your own kids or any kids, they'll learn more than I'll ever know. And like the wisdom of that, especially as it relates to taking care of these beautiful places, you know, I hope that we do better than our parents and I hope that my kids do better than me. And I hope that we like evolve into taking better care and not worse care of these incredible places that we have. Uh, and I just thought that song, while it's sort of this sentimental song about beautiful world, it also has a pretty particular kind of like challenge in that line, uh, a self-awareness about like, you know, the next generation's got to do, going to do better than us, hopefully. So, yeah, almost prescient. Yeah. Almost prescient. So I, I wanted to close with, with another piece of video that I think people should check out, which is your Ted talk. Um, and the title of your TED talk, if I have it correct, was your dreams don't belong to you. I thought it was really profound. Um, obviously we don't have time for you to, nor do you want to go repeat the TED talk, but I was kind of curious. And I, and like I said, people should check it out. I was kind of curious how it came about. And I was kind of curious, like, you know, the way you landed on that, cause it's a really beautiful sentiment. And I think it's really much like the Louis Armstrong song, I think it's it's a pretty universal theme. I know you you sort of centered it to some degree around music, but sure, yeah. If you yeah. Could talk just a little bit about well, that, sure, I'd be happy to. So the first question, as far as how it came about, I, I believe um, my manager had seen a few TED talks by other musicians and just said, "Hey, that, that's, have you have you ever thought about doing this?" And I was like, "Well, no, not really," but. I, mean, I could be, I could be talked into that for sure. Um, 
then he basically came back and said, there's going to be a series of Ted talks in Memphis, which is my hometown. They said they would love to have you. Would you like to do it? And I said, sure. Let me think about what I'm going to say. And you know, the TED Talk's kind of intimidating for a, a variety of reasons, one of which is you have to memorize it. And, and I'm not uh, as good at that. I'm sort of more like write down a bunch of notes and just riff for a little while, but you have to really nail exactly what you're going to say. And then secondly, I was asking myself the question, like, what do I know for sure that maybe not everybody else knows? You know, what what's what's some information that I have that is not particularly unique to me, but based on who's going to watch it maybe is unique to me and is, has a universal sort of, you know, uh, nugget of truth to it. Um, and then obviously sort of titling it in such a way that there's a little bit of a hook, you know, which is like, like any good song. Um, but one of the things I had a conversation with someone who basically was, it was a hyper individualist that was like talking about entrepreneurs and how, you know, they are the job creators and they are the, you know, basically the heroes in the capes and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty, like, um, this was person telling this obviously was an entrepreneur and was very proud of himself for it. Obviously. So, yeah, obviously. And so, I, I just, he, 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 he just kept doubling down and saying, you know what I mean? And I'm like, no, I actually, I, I you're still not listening to me. I completely disagree with you. Um, that it's it, without the village, the dream doesn't come true. You know, that the, the, it takes a village thing. And so I have just learned and been amazed in my life at, you know, take the festival, for instance, um, there, it takes so many thoughtful, creative people to create dreams within dreams to make a larger dream come true you know so you've got the visual artists you've got the the audio engineers who've spent years you know doing this thing you've got the people who dreamed up and built out and are indeed the the line array sound systems the you know security folks who you know basically like you know figured out systems to protect people from, you know, bad actors. And, uh, there's just all these different ways that, you know, I can't get up on stage, you know, and, and put on a great show. If, if, if no one ever invented the guitar, if no one ever invented and sold and hustled the microphones, you know, there's just like all these pieces. And I'm, I'm continually struck by that and wanted to share that as like a, as a thought, like to just, Hey, once you, once you release your, once you do your thing, put it out there, just remember you didn't do it by yourself and the audience is a participant in it as well. And, and so hold your, your, your sort of pride of ownership. Drew Holcomb is a good man who makes great music. You can find more Drew at DrewHolcomb.com and on Instagram at DrewHolcombMusic. I'm Charles Coplin, and you have been listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustained Music and Nature. If you like this podcast, rate us and subscribe. And for more, go to SustainMusicAndNature.org. Hey, it's the end of the world now, haven't you heard? So smoke them if you got them. Say goodbye